Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Mixed martial arts, mixed martial arts, UFC 275 preview show starts now! Yes indeed, as we are literally exactly 24 hours away right now from UFC 275, which goes down at the legendary Singapore Indoor Stadium, very intriguing main event, two title fights overall, a marquee rematch of one of the greatest fights of all time, Quite the final three fights for a pay-per-view event, and we're going to talk about that and much more as we welcome you to the live UFC 275 preview show here on MMAfighting.com. I am Mike Heck, broadcasting live from the Under Construction Command Center 4.0. It's going to look and sound way better next week, so bear with me. But luckily, I have a lot of help with me. First, from Singapore, the very tired, hardworking Mr. Jose Young is kind enough to wake up nice and early to join us. Hello, sir. We also have Mr. Sean Alshadi joining us as well. And the Prince of Positivity, Alexander Kaylee. Look at that. Dance moves. You're like the land of a thousand dances, AK. Gentlemen, we have a lot to talk about. But Jose, let's let's wake you up here. A little ambiance check-in, if you will, because you're 10,000 plus miles away from all of us. So what's the vibe like in Singapore? Are the Singapore fight fans ready for this UFC card tomorrow? Who are the tastemakers on the card? Who's getting the big pops? Give us the gossip, my man. Give us the juice. Well, first of all, this isn't a wake-up call because I haven't slept because jet lag has just absolutely crippled me, and I've been here for almost seven days. It is, it's technically it's, – it's Saturday morning for me <laughs> like this isn't like oh we're doing this on friday it's saturday like the fights are sunday for me it is just a very bizarre scene but uh as far as the what's the phrase the quote-unquote hype here in singapore not a lot i would say i've walked around a ton here in singapore just like kind of through like the the like the downtown area or like little india or the area around the the Marina Bay and everything. And as far as I can tell, the only type of UFC content I've absorbed out and about are the cabs driving around. Like, you know how in the UK, when there's the big UFC fights, they have like the, the, the cabs are wrapped in like the poster and everything. But there's a lot of cabs with that. And then if you get close to downtown and the arena, there's like posters on, on like poles. But other than that, not a lot, not a whole lot. I've, some people have asked me like, oh, what are you in town for? And I say... I'm here to cover the UFC. And they're like, one championship? I'm like, nope. The UFC's in town. They're like, oh, who's fighting? And I tell them, they're like, okay. 
So I don't know. Like, there's a lot of there's an alarming amount of Australians here because Robert Whitaker was supposed to fight on this card. So if you watch the Q and A video that we uploaded that I shot, there's a ton of fans that did the Q and A. They're like, Rob. Because Robert Whitaker and Yamalhovich did a fan Q&A after the, after the quote-unquote weigh-in, ceremonial weigh-ins. And they're like, Rob, I flew all the way from Australia because you were supposed to fight on this card. But you're not fighting on this card. But I still came. So there's a ton of Australians here because Robert Whitaker was supposed to be here. But there's not a lot of Glover or Yeri or Valentina or Italia Santos or any of those type of fans. It just seems like this is just a, an, a sporting event that's happening in Singapore. There's not a lot of fight feel in the city interesting well they're going to be treated to a good card the especially the last three fights and as i mentioned earlier fascinating main event the ufc light heavyweight title between glover Teixeira and yuri prahashka sean i want to begin with you because i am fascinated with your take on this fight i can't wait to hear it because Half of us on our esteemed MMA fighting global rankings panel, I'm pulling it up right now, have Glover Teixeira ranked number one. Two panelists have Yuri Prohashka number one. One panelist has Glover at number two. Three of the panelists, all are here in some capacity, have Glover ranked third, which is wild to me. So, Sean, your breakdown of this matchup between two guys who are in your top three, neither at number one, and the challenger ranked higher than the champion. That's an interesting setup for me. All right. I feel like I almost have to defend my ranking here. That's not how I expected. Uh, I mean, I did at one point have Yuri Prohaska ranked as the number one light heavyweight in the world. I think I did that right after Glover won the championship. To me, the, this light heavyweight division right now where we currently sit is the most unsettled. And it's been in probably more than a decade. But it's also the most interesting to me that it's been in more than a decade. Uh, and I can explain in that when for a long time, the John Jones – Daniel Cormier, that it that that whole rivalry between those two that dominated this division to the degree that there was really no one else there, and it almost made the division feel lesser because everyone felt lesser than them. The Glover, the the Alex, or I'm sorry, the Anthony Johnsons, the Alexander Gustafsons, those those guys were periphery figures, but we knew they weren't the main two players the whole way through. Right now, it's totally up in the air, right? Like this division could be anybody's to 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 rule over. We don't really know for certain. If Glover's the, the number one guy because, you know, he's 42 years old and we've seen him lose a lot, like it's just one of those weird situations. And it feels like any number of guys, whether it's a Yuri Brohaska, whether it's an Anna Kalaev, whether it's one of the younger guys coming up at 205, feels like anybody can kind of take the reins of this division and carry him forward into this new era. And that to me is really, really exciting because what we have in front of us on Saturday is – I think a fight that has become much more of a coin flip in people's eyes than when it was first booked. It almost feels like when it was first booked, it was like, oh, well, Yuri's going to run through him. Like, that's we, like we all kind of just assumed that. But now, like, Mike, I got to give you credit. Like, you were the first guy that I can remember being on this train. And I think a lot of people have started to come to your side that this is a lot more of a competitive fight than I think a lot of people initially thought. There are definitely paths to victory here for Glover, namely the groundwork that, that it seemed very apparent the closer we get. So I'm here for it. This is a really exciting fight to me. Uh, Glover is one of the coolest stories we've had going in MMA in a long, long time. Uh, and Yuri is just an absolute wild man who's, you know, entertainment personified every time he's there in the cage. So everything about this fight, I love. AK, I don't know how you are going to feel about this fight because the potential for mixing of the martial arts is very high here. And 
for those who missed No Bets Bar to BTL, it took me almost eight months to do it, AK, but I wore down your good buddy, Jed Bashu. I wore him down where he officially jumped off the Yuri bus onto the Glover Teixeira private jet. There aren't many of us on there, at least at first, but the ones who have been there since October, we've been confident and we've been uh, oh so comfortable, AK. And Jed has joined the fray. I love this fight. So many intangibles, so many storylines, multiple perspectives here. Your thoughts on this fight, and then let the folks know what kind of poll we got going on. Yeah, super intriguing. Uh, like I said, we've been on we've been on the uh, Glover train for a while. Even before he got the title fight with Jan Blachowicz, we, we we were I think a lot of us were campaigning for him to get the title fight. You know, there was there was definitely some reluctance on the UFC's part. Uh, maybe some, you know, some disinterest on the fans' part because we'd seen him fight John Jones, and it, you know, sometimes in the UFC it's like, oh, you had your shot, you know. Um, so he did, all he could do was just keep winning fights, which he did. Uh, other than the Nikita Krylov, the uh, Nikita Krylov fight, he looked really good in in all those fights. Uh, was getting finishes, just racking up submissions, and uh, and and it was super exciting for him to finally get a tell shot and win. And for us, we had to, but like the pushing of the Glover trade couldn't stop because as soon as he won right away, it was like, Oh, well, Yuri Prochka, we have our number one contender already. And he's probably going to beat Glover. So Glover didn't even get like a honeymoon period with the belt. You know, it's like right away people were saying like, ah, he's just holding it. You know, he's just holding it for this, this, this Czech beast, this former rising champion. And it's kind of, it, and admittedly, it is part of what makes this main event so compelling. So, I mean, as much as I kind of bristle against uh, people counting Glover out, his vulnerability is kind of is what makes this this match so watchable. Is is yes, we know how Glover can win. We know he's a superior grappler. We know he can get a first round submission for sure. But Yuri has looked so good. In, he looks so good before coming to the UFC. He looks so good in his two UFC fights. He's entertaining to watch. He's distinct. He has he has a distinct style. He has a distinct look. That samurai knot is just absolute money, uh, and he's exactly what you want in a challenger. It's one of the reasons why this is you know um, aside from the fact that UFC usually puts the heavier weight classes in the main event, why this gets the edge over you know a history making perform um, win potentially for Valentina Shevchenko. She just doesn't have that strong of a B side. With this with this fight, uh, it feels like man. Uh, there's just so much, I would imagine, money, so much money coming in on both sides, so much intrigue coming in. Uh, certainly, we know money coming in on uh, Brashka because he, he is favored. But yeah, I love the matchup. Uh, win or lose, look, I'm rooting for, for Glover, but win or lose, I think it's it, it's UFC's going to have a great champion uh, at 205 coming out of uh, UFC 275. That is a great point. Jose, high-level martial arts is your game. High-level martial arts, this is. The chaos, the striking, the explosiveness of Yuri Prohashka against the incredible grappling, the jiu-jitsu, the wrestling, and the underrated power of Glover Teixeira, which I think a lot of people aren't even taking into account here. I think some people are jumping on board of that, that there are more ways than one for, for Glover to win this fight. Jose, this might not sell a million pay-per-views, but I am so here for it as I'm sure you are. Your thoughts on this main event? I mean, it's the fight that makes sense. It's also the fight that I've been... I just wanted Yuri to fight at the top of this division for so long, especially when he was in Ryzen. I didn't particularly care who he was fighting for the title or who was in the top five that he was going to fight. Uh, I like how you said Glover has underrated power. I think well, I, when I interviewed Daniel Cormier, he, he just... I think the way he phrased it was like he's very heavy, if that makes sense, on top. And he kind of... He smothers you with, with his... He doesn't have one punch knockout power. It's like he's hitting you with a brick over and over and over and over until your body just kind of succumbs to the damage. So I think that's how I would phrase it. I don't think he's just going 
going to light you up like Anthony Rumble Johnson or Francis Ghana. He's going to hit you over and over and over. Yuri Prohaska, however, he is one of those crazy men where he can hit you from pretty much any angle he's he's at, kind of like you know a Justin Gaethje or Tony Ferguson or Yair Rodriguez. It doesn't matter what style of fight that's happening. He can knock you out off his back. He can knock you off off his going backwards. He can knock you off going forwards. And I think the way he phrased it at MMA Media Day was, or UFC Media Day was, uh, I don't play jujitsu. I just go out there and if I go on the ground, I'm gonna try to finish with ground and pound or elbows off my back or whatever. So even if he's on his back, I don't expect you perhaps to be throwing up any sort of submissions whatsoever. He's probably still going to try to knock over to share out off his back with elbows, punches, kicks, knees, whatever. So, yeah, high-level martial arts, uh, but also a type of fight that I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen because Yuri Prohaska is... I think the way I phrased it when I had to do the fight of, fight of the year uh, breakdown, I think him versus Dom Reyes was number five on our list, and it's like you take like a bunch of gravel and you take a bunch of ketchup packets and you throw it in a blender... And you turn it on, and then you look inside, and that's pretty much the remnants of a year perhaps fight. Just absolute disgusting chaos. And that's what I'm expecting from both of these men. Wow, what a what what a visual by words. It was amazing. Sean, what I love about both these guys is Yuri's just so intense, even outside of the octagon. Media day, he had that look in his face, top knot rocking, and Glover's confidence is just unbelievable. He's just loose as a goose. Just hearing Yuri Prohaska's name brings this evil sort of but excited grin to his face, which I love about this. And I think in a lot of people's eyes, and I think it's been mentioned throughout the build of this fight, most people look at it as it's a pretty simple fight. If Yuri keeps it on the feet, he wins. If Glover gets him down, Yuri better get up quick or he retains. That's an easy storyline. I think there's more to it than that. But what's the biggest question you have heading into this fight beyond that narrative? Beyond that narrative is interesting, right? Because I think a lot of that narrative sort of goes – like it's all consuming in a certain way where – like what did Yuri Prasca do for, for a lot of the lead-up to this fight, right? He, he seems to have gone away from his, his usual comfort zones in terms of where he's trained. He's done some cross-training down here in Arizona for with Fight Ready. I know he's trained with a few other guys as well. And a lot of that seemed to just be shoring up the holes in the game because that that element, that aspect that you just said – of the takedowns, can he defend the wrestling, all of that, that's really going to define whether he has success or not. Because he, Gary Preska is not an, an incredible wrestler. Like for all the accolades that we're, we've been giving him for the past six months about how violent he is in there, how much fun he is to watch, he's not some incredible stud wrestler. He was taken down by Dominic Reyes. And Dominic Reyes, if you look, has I think only taken down one other person in his entire UFC career. So that's not who Dom is. And he was able to get Yuri down and a little bit of trouble down there. Yuri is someone who prioritizes offense over position almost always. And so that like against a Glover, that, that leaves such a big, just gaping hole for Glover to be able to exploit with what is really his best strength. But this matchup is, is fascinating to me because there's different elements too of it right where glover he's not some schmuck on the on the feet like we've seen glover stand and bang knock guys out uh and be able to win fights that way as well i mean when he came into the sport he was kind of seen as just this power puncher rather than this jujitsu guy and he's shown those other facets of his game throughout that time but to me i mean this comes down to what people have been how people have been framing it of really can glover get yuri to the ground because yover glover for all of it all of you know how cool this this late run has been and it really has been one of the I would say more inspiring late runs we've ever seen. If Michael Bisping didn't do what he did, it might be the it, right up there at the top. But for however cool this run has been, Glover's gotten hurt in a lot of these fights, and Yuri's not that type of guy where if he if he gets you hurt, like he he will usually 
finish that fight. Glover's got to like to get the fight to the ground. Glover's been getting hurt in most of the fights of this win streak. So it really is that thing where unstoppable force, immovable object, which one's going to break first? And that's the, the, the question I really want to see answered. What's yours, AK? And Joseph Boza made an interesting point that Yuri is normally a super active dude, fights a lot. There it is, three, four times a year, 14 months, over a year since the Dominic Reyes fight, which is still, in my opinion, last year, the best fight of 2021. I understand why it went the other way, but that's neither here nor there. Does the layoff concern you at all, even with a guy as chaotic as Yuri? If not, what's the biggest question you have heading into this fight? Uh, no, I'm not worried about the layoff at all. What's what's Yuri look like? 29? He's a young guy. I mean, y- yeah, you like any fighter to stay busy, um, but I think when you're a guy like him – uh, time off can only be good for you. I mean, it's it's that fight with with Reyes was, uh, like I said, a, a really exciting fight for as long as it lasted. Uh, he took some damage in there. He takes damage in his fights, you know. So uh, any, any time off he can get, I think is great. He's also said all the right things about. I mean, look, uh, as soon as he, you know, I'm sure as soon as there's an inkling uh, that Teixeira could be the champion, I'm sure he's been even before that, even before you know, even before the Blahovitz uh, Teixeira fight was booked. He knows, I think, to be a UFC champion that he needs to round out his game. So if he's been spending a large chunk of this time off working on wrestling, takedown defense, working on submission defense, uh, working on maybe implementing his own his own uh, grappling in an offensive way, who knows, right? Because that's that to me, the layoff doesn't matter to me. That to me is the biggest question is, will we see some serious mixing of the martial arts from both guys? Because um, as Shaheen was saying, it's funny, Glover at one point was considered a knockout artist. I think people knew he could grapple. But most of his wins are by knockout. I think uh, his pa- four of his past five wins were by submission. So he's really racked up kind of th- – That's he's really tallied up uh, – sorry, excuse me. He's really upped that submission tally in his re- on his run to becoming champion. Um, again, people knew he had submission skills, but he knocked people out. You know, he, he, he had great – he was really, really well known for his boxing and, and he got a, knock, a lot of knockouts that way. So – Yes, you have to favor Prochka in a striking battle, but it's not like Teixeira can't do stuff on the feet. It's not like he's he's a sitting duck up there. Um, so we could see his striking really come into play. Uh, and with Yuri, again, I somehow – of course, I would doubt he's anywhere near the level of grappling uh, of Glover, uh, even with – even let's say he's been using 80% of his camp time to uh, work on that department – but it, it could really be a factor, and uh, it'd be amazing if we see him shoot for a takedown. It'd be surprising, but maybe just to, just to throw Glover off, just to change the rhythm of the fight, to show you know, just to get him thinking about it. So I think, even though we all see this as a grappler versus striker matchup, how much the martial arts are mixed by both fighters is going to be really interesting to me, especially if this if this goes out of the first round, which I think it will. I think it, I have this going into the second and ending at some point in the second. But before that, I think. I I do wonder how much of uh, their all-around game both guys are going to get the chance to show. Jose, you you ran down why you love the fight so much. Who has more of the cheat code in your eyes? Is Glover's ground game, Yuri with the unpredictability, or is there something else you see? It's not just, you know, Glover gets it down, he wins. Yuri keeps it standing, he wins. What's sort of the the main factor here? What's the, the big intangible? Who has the cheat code in this fight? Hmm... I don't know if there's a cheat code because this fight seems like one of those fights where if it was like a tech and a street fighter, this seems like a button mask type of fight where the winner is just going to slap a bunch of buttons and then whoever wins is the one that just happened to hit the right amount of buttons in the very specific order to win. So, I mean, I guess obviously Glover's grappling and wrestling is obviously the big, probably going to be the biggest X factor, mostly because Yuri Prohaska himself said, yeah, I'm not that good at grappling and wrestling. So if anyone, if anyone watched 
the UFC 275 needed it because I know everyone on the MMA fighting site watched it live when I was streaming it. If if not, you can go back and watch it after this preview show. I, I Jose Young's asking you, perhaps, what did you do the last 14 months? And he said, I did a lot of grappling and a lot of wrestling so I can prepare for this fight. Glover's like, cool, but you haven't done that for X amount of fights in your career when you get in danger you're probably just going to go back to what you were doing it's kind of what tyson fury did was saying when he fought deontay wilder like cool add a bunch of new tools to your game when you get in danger you're just going to be swinging those giant haymakers hoping to knock me out so i tend to agree with glover uh a fighter will always fall back on what got him to the dance no matter what how much they prepared over the last 14 months so i guess i would say the biggest x factor is who can do who can hurt the other one first and take advantage of that because, yeah, Glover can hurt you, but if you can't follow it up, like we all saw Jorge Masvidal fight Colby Covington, and Jorge Masvidal hurt Colby Covington, had the most significant damage, significant punch of the whole fight. I think it was like the fourth round or something like that, and he couldn't follow up. He was so tired, and Colby Covington won. Now, if Glover or Yuri can hurt the other one early in the fight, I'm pretty sure that's a wrap. As the fight goes on, I guess I would say the biggest X factor is can that person's cardio push them to finish the fight if they do hurt the other one? Because this is light heavyweight. So I guess that's what I would say. Who has the, who's going to have the killer instinct late in the fight if it does go past the second, third, fourth, fifth round? And who's got the better chin in this fight? Because, you know, I, I see a lot of people saying Glover gets rocked too much. Yuri gets touched up too. And Dominic Ray has had him in some big trouble in that last fight. And, I feel comfortable saying Glover hits as hard, if not harder, than Dominic Reyes. So that's an interesting wrinkle in this fight as well. Odds are pretty much where they've been been all week, according to our good friends at DraftKings. Prahashka still the favorite at minus 200. Comeback on the champ is plus 170. Shaheen, we will kick it off with you, my man. How does this thing play out? What's the official pick? How does this thing play out? I think this thing plays out like chaos i just expect absolute chaos in there from both of these guys i mean we've said it a couple times these guys are finishers through and through just with the tenacity they approach the game and the really the pace and the pressure they put on every single person they fight both of these guys are very similar in that regards although their styles may be different the way they approach it but every single fight these gentlemen are in seemingly gets finished and i i would be stunned if this one even gets to round three i see something happening early and it will come down to the question that, that we've talked discussed now i think everybody sort of has hit on it of, of which of these two men will get the air the, the fight to where their strongest suits are and how long they can keep it there uh when this fight was first booked I felt very, very strongly that Yuri Prohaska was going to win this fight. You guys have swayed me over the past couple of months, Mike and all of you guys. You guys have really brought me closer to like a 50-50 split with Glover. Ultimately, though, I'm going with Yuri Prohaska by knockout. I think he gets it done in the second round. Uh, and I think this starts a very, very fun new era chapter here at, one, at 205 pounds. But I would not be surprised if I was completely wrong and Glover just gets a first round sub and, and keeps this magic trend going here. AK, you're my best friend. You're you're on Team Glover. Explain why. How does this how does this go? How does this play out? When does it end? How does it end? Well, my best friend, I, I, but I apologize. You gave me an opening to talk poll before, which I normally never miss I out sure on. Did. Uh, 
I forgot. I'm sorry. I, the poll I threw up, uh, which people have already voted on. So thank you, uh, viewers and uh, listen. Well, I guess listeners on the podcast network later. Thank you, viewers. What UFC 275 fight are you most excited about? Pretty simple. Top three fights to share versus Brahashka. Currently leading 56%. Uh, the Zhang JJ rematch, 30%. Shevchenko Santos, 11%. Pretty, pretty, uh, you know, a predictable uh, results so far. And other 3%. So who knows what that could be. Uh, but yes, my pick for what is currently the most anticipated fight of UFC 275 is Glover Teixeira. I'm going uh, Glover by second round submission. I think uh, he's going to get in some trouble spots in the first round. Nothing nothing too bad, I don't think. I don't think um, he'll get knocked down or anything. But I think we'll have there'll be a little bit of a feeling out process and i think uh yuri will will get first blood and he'll have he'll kind of have glover against the fence you know some 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 really dangerous looking flurries uh to share his defense striking defense really gonna have to be on point i think he'll be able to throw up enough counters out there to keep yuri honest to to keep uh to keep himself from just being completely overwhelmed so i think we could see a a pretty clear first round for uh with his work on the feet and then I think Teixeira figures him out in the second round, uh, finds a chance to just close the distance. Maybe he has to take some damage, but closes the distance, gets his hands on him, gets a body lock takedown, something like that. Uh, maybe even, God help us, pulls guard, just goes full jiu-jitsu on him, and, uh, and eventually finds his way to, uh, to get a submission. So second round sub for uh, Glover, for the champ. Jose, your pick. Um... I'm not one that will put Glover under... No- below the number one ranking i mean i even when chart before charles Oliveira fought dustin poirier i still had charles number one regardless of what everyone else on the site said well besides obviously ak he me and him were kind of the only ones running with the charles Oliveira train um i still put glover number one pound like in the pound for pound ranking for like wait but i still think yuri perhaska gets it done i just is he how old is he he's not even 30 right it's 29 i yeah, he's 29 years old. He's a psychopath, and Glover Shear is 42, 43 years old. And, uh, yeah, he's beating a lot. Of, he's obviously – he won fair and square. He put on that fantastic win streak when Jan Blachowicz beat Israel Adesanya. Everyone was like, yeah, Glover's next. And Jan Blachowicz himself said, I just didn't show up against Glover Shear. If they run it back 10 times, I think that's a f- five and five. Each one will win five and five between Jan and Glover. I just think Yuri is a guy – that has so just does not care enough about his well-being, and that makes him so dangerous against a guy like Glover Teixeira, especially a fighter like Glover Teixeira, who's been knocked out and finished a lot in his UFC career in very violent fashion, like Anthony Johnson, the Alexander Gustafson. He had absolutely dominated by Phil Davis. So I think Yuri Prohaska gets it done. I don't know what round, but I think he gets. I think he hurts Glover, and I think he finishes him against defense pretty violently. I don't think it's going to be a spinning back elbow like the Dom Reyes fight, but I think he gets it done inside three and a half rounds. Look, I'm not going to say anything you haven't heard for like 32 weeks now. It's Glover first round submission. I've been there all along, but you know, listen, the more I break this one down, the more I think Glover can win in multiple other ways. I think Yuri leaves himself open for what Glover does best on the feet. Glover lands that thunderous left hand. Just ask Jan Bohovic about that left hand. And Yuri leaves himself open for that a lot, especially when he gets a little crazy and chaotic, which is his biggest advantage in this fight. So I think Glover could hurt Yuri. I think he could knock him out. He could beat him up on the ground. But to me, if Glover hurts him at all, if he lands that left hand and he puts Yuri on wobbly legs, you just take the path of least resistance. You just tackle the man. You submit him. Tap, tap. And I still believe that one takedown in this fight is over. I've been saying this from the beginning, and I stand by it. One takedown, this fight's over. Yuri, 
can scramble his ass off. He does so with explosion. But Culver's seen that. He's seen much more explosiveness in those positions. And what happens when that, when, when things like that go down in a Glover Teixeira fight, he finds your back, he chokes you, and that's it. So to paraphrase John Anik, we're still breaking through at 42. Let's go. Glover Teixeira gets it done. But like I've said many times, it would not shock me if things happened the other way. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Let us move to the co-main event, gentlemen. Valentina Shevchenko defending her flyweight title against Tyler Santos. Shevchenko, no surprise to anybody here. Biggest favorite on the card. Still holding strong, as I look at it right now, at minus 630. So, Jose, this is a tough question. We'll just get right into this nitty-gritty. We know how great Valentina is. Best women's fighter in the world. Maybe the best fighter in the world, period. She's just so far ahead of everybody else. But now we have the 19-1 Tyler Santos. Four wins in a row, and she hasn't just been winning. She's been one-way trafficking, hasn't lost a round since the debut loss to Marbrella, but very few are giving her a chance to win this fight, Jose. What does Tyler Santos have to do to pull off this massive upset? Can this even be done? It's martial arts. It's MMA. Anything can happen. There's two people fighting. We've seen crazy things happen. Can she get it done? How can she get this done? (laughs) She can get it done, but I don't think she will get it done. I don't think there's many fighters in the flyweight division, if any, that will beat Valentina Shevchenko. Um, how she can do it, I guess, would have to be like that first round that Jennifer Maya did against Valentina Shevchenko, where she just kind of used her strength to to push Valentina against the fence. Maybe if Valentina got a little caught off guard. Because remember that fight? We were like, yeah, this fight ain't lasting two rounds. Valentina Shevchenko's just going to decapitate Jennifer Maya. And then we saw what happened. Jennifer Maya, I think what? Jennifer Maya won the first round, maybe, on a lot of the scorecards, if all scorecards, and then obviously with one-way traffic after that. But if Talia Santos can just do that, for three of the five rounds and reach the decision, sure, why not? She can win. I don't think it will happen. Valentina Shevchenko's, I think, one of the more unspoken strengths that Valentina has. It's her ability to adjust, especially in like that Jennifer Maya fight where someone will come with a very specific game plan that finds some sort of success, and Valentina can make enough adjustments that she just, again, she takes them out of their own game plan, and then it's one-way try from there, and a stylistic fight that we're not re- prepared to see from Valentina. Uh, even Talia Santos said she's as close to perfect fighter as you can be in the UFC, but there are holes in her game. Uh, I'm sure we've seen a lot of those holes. We just, no one's really been able to capitalize on them for a prolonged amount of time. So can she do it? Sure. Uh, she only has one loss, and that was in her UFC debut, and she doesn't have any stoppage wins in the UFC up until her last performance against JoJo Wood. Uh, and JoJo, kind of, you know, if you look at her last few fights, she's kind of come, she's come up short a lot in these types of fights. Uh, Roxanne Montefiore, she got controlled. Molly McCann fight. I remember Molly McCann thought she even debated retiring because of how frustrated that fight was because she felt Talia just came to control her rather than fight her. So if Talia can do that, 
sure, she can win, but she probably won't. And then Valentina will just, you know, another ruby on the belt, and then she can go do, as, as Dana White said, quote-unquote, she can do whatever she wants after that. AK, when we have Valentina Shevchenko fights, we always bring up this question, and it just has to be asked because of the betting lines and how people just view Valentina compared to the rest of the fighters in, in her division. If Tyler Santos goes out there and does the unthinkable and beats Valentina Shevchenko, I'm not talking about, you know, a Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier type ending where he snaps, she snaps her leg, something bad happens. I don't want to put that type of bad juju into the universe. But let's say Tyler Santos just goes out there and just beats Valentina Shevchenko, finishes her, becomes the champion. Is this the biggest upset in UFC history? Where does this rank for you if that's what actually well, happens tomorrow? People know I'll never put anything above the first Matt Sarah GSP fight. However, it's also in today's UFC impossible to replicate the circumstances leading to that fight. It's almost it's almost like you shouldn't count it. Like it it it, it is far and away the biggest upset. We'll never see anything top it. But again, we'll never see anything top it because the way Matt Sarah got that title fight is just not the way. There's no equivalent to that in today's. Um, in today's combat sports world. So it's almost unfair to go in that direction. But it it certainly wouldn't be a bigger upset than that. It's and it's kind of weird to say because Tyler Santos actually relative to Valentina Shevchenko's other title challengers outside of Jessica Andrade, she's actually getting a lot of respect. Uh, just look at topology here. Lauren Murphy was about a minus 1,600. <laughs> minus 1,600! <laughs> Uh, sorry, uh, Shevchenko was a favorite. I don't. I don't know what level underdog. Sorry, I should look at the uh, what level she under was. But Shevchenko was a minus sixteen hundred favorite. She's only around a minus six hundred favorite for over Tela Santos. Uh, she was minus eighteen twenty five over Jennifer Maya. Minus twelve hundred against Caitlin Jigian. Minus eleven hundred against Liz Carmouche, the current Bellator flyweight champion. So, uh, relatively speaking, Tela Santos is actually getting a lot of respect. The other thing with upsets is uh, they are affected by history. We would have to see what happened after. Um, that's again going back to the Matt Sarah thing. I know I keep doing that, but because it was it was such a one and done thing, and GSP went on that dominant reign after. It makes it look like even more of like a fluke and more of a once in a lifetime event. If Tyler Santos, you know, beat Valentina Shevchenko and then beat her in a rematch and then went on and defended the title three, four, five times, suddenly it loses a lot of, you know, it loses a lot of its uh, uh, upset factor. But uh, I will say it, it'd be up there. I think it oddly it would feel bigger than Pena and uh, beating Nunez, though, though the odds don't reflect that. It would feel it would feel somewhat bigger, but it won't it won't be the biggest again, just because uh, if you just go back through some of the older UFC fights, there's some there's some pretty, uh, pretty crazy circumstances that led to uh, those uh, those big, big shockers in the past. Sean, I listened to this week the latest episode of Dan. They were good talking about the career of Michael Bisbing and Jed Bashu called you the greatest writer in the world. He he pumped your tires real nice, and uh, you are you are a tremendous writer. You have a wonderful way of putting things into words. So, paint a word picture about what makes Valentina Shevchenko so special. Like for the newer fans, maybe they just got into it a couple of months ago. They don't know a lot about her. What makes Valentina Shevchenko so special? I mean, first off, I just have to say, in response to what AK just said. Dude, you're crazy. You're absolutely. You would consider this uh, a small, like you would consider the Pena Nunes not in a bigger upset than this because Pena Nunes was a much bigger upset than this would be. Like that, that's not even comparable to me. Like that seems crazy to say. Even the Pena Nunes wouldn't be 
smaller than this. We, we had we had people giving Pena a chance. We had our own Jed Machine giving person. Pena a chance. We had one person in the entire <laughs> world give him a chance. Also perfectly also perfectly explaining how it would happen. And there was other people who, even though they picked Nunez, said that that's no. how Pena could win the fight. So the fact no. that people pretty accurately reflected how Pena would win, I think tells you it wasn't as, like, I mean, obviously it's a massive upset. But I think it tells you, like, that, that there was a blueprint there. I don't see anyone giving, creating any sort of blueprint for Santos. I mean, there's, there's a blueprint in the way that there's a blueprint for anything happening in any fight, right? Like Tyler Santos could knock her out with one punch. Like, that's a blueprint. There you go. Like, Pena Nunes, to me, was either the biggest upset in the history of MMA or the second biggest. Just going into it, what we, we knew about Amanda Nunes, what we thought about her, her being on this undefeated streak across two divisions, the level of dominance she was showing and the, the number, the names of the opponents that she was beating. Like, it's so not comparable to where Valentina Shevchenko is because, like, I know she is our number one pound for pound female fighter in the world. I would say she absolutely is. But if you look at a lot of the names on this streak, she's not beating the level that Amanda was for years and years, right? There's a lot of like a Jessica I, Caitlin Chukagian, Jennifer Myers, on Lauren Murphy's on on this run that I wouldn't say we would throw those in as Hall of Fame names, whereas Noons still had that resume. Uh, that being said, I will say in regards to Valentina and her greatness. I apologize again to AK because I know you're Canada's hero up there and you got to represent for your boys. But this kind of feels like we've reached, if you use Anderson Silva as a comparison, this is kind of like the Patrick Cote part of Valentina's run or her reign of dominance, right? Where we have really kind of started to run out of names. And so anybody with a good streak that just kind of looks competent, we're throwing in there against Valentina. And that's sort of where we're stuck at right now, which is why to me, this. This one is exciting, A, because I do think Tyler Santos is, is sort of being underrepresented here in terms of how good she is. She has looked very good, especially over the last one against Joanne Wood. But to me, this fight is more interesting in the possibilities beyond this, because for a long time, a lot of people, myself included, have wanted to see Valentina go for that two-division glory, whether it was against Amanda Nunes or whether it would be against now Juliana Pena, whoever wins that fight. And for a long time, the UFC and seemingly Dana White in particular has been very resistant of this idea of wanting to let Valentina do that, do that, whether for whatever their reasons, it's just hasn't seemingly been something that's been that interesting to them. And now you have it this week, Dana White essentially saying, yeah, man, we've run out of ideas. If, if this is if she wants to do that after this, let her do it. And I am very excited for that because I think Valentina Shevchenko is someone who could beat both Amanda or Juliana and basically dominate two divisions at the same time since she doesn't really cut weight to get to 125. And that to me is a very interesting prospect and the idea of how far can we push this and how, how what sort of active champion she could be in, in that situation. That is really interesting to me. So the fact that that's something that is now like a door that has been opened after this weekend, but that's the most exciting part of this to me. Can I can I just say I Shaheen was Shaheen was very selective with his choice his uh his, his choice of Valentina opponents. You didn't mention Jessica Andraj, Joanna Yachechik. Those are two wins that Valentina has that I put up there pretty highly, pretty pretty highly with I agree. Some of the best of yeah. So I'm saying you you didn't mention those. I mean we can cherry pick you know their opponent. I also think Caitlin Chukagian's a really good win. I know people find Chukagian really boring. She has the most wins in the division. She's only lost to like the best of the best, including Shevchenko, Jessica Andraj. So like those are three really quality wins. She doesn't have quite the breadth of of Nunez, and, and certainly not the name value because yeah. Nunez. That's, that's look, all I'm implying. I'm certainly sure, not look, trying to crap oh, on yeah, her. Yeah. Just saying, and Nunez had such an incredible resume up to that point. Sure, sure. Yeah, and the yeah, name value: Ra- Rousey, Tate, Holly Holm, Cyborg. I mean, th- those even four. Shevchenko name, name herself twice. Yeah. yeah, and she has been. Yes, technically, she has been Shevchenko twice. Correct. Yeah. 
Yes. Uh, very interesting stuff here. I think the only thing that might keep Valentina at 125 for another fight is if Misha beats Lauren Murphy, because you could sell that one. There's something there. But other than that, yeah, I think even if Misha wins, just go up to 135 and see what happens. So how does this thing uh, play out, Sean? How does, uh, unless you're picking the big upset here, how does Valentina get it done? No, I mean, I see this being like a lot of recent Valentina fights where she, Maybe it's a tiny bit competitive at the beginning. Maybe Tyler Santos surprises a tiny bit at the beginning, like others have, uh, Jennifer Maya, et cetera. But ultimately, the, Valentina Shevchenko is just better at every possible aspect of the game than Tyler Santos. She's going to outclass her over the course of the 25 minutes, and I could see her by round four, right, round five, wearing her down, getting uh, a TKO win maybe against the, the cage, just some ground and pound. I see Valentina winning this one. AK. I think Tyler Santos is a, has a better chance than a lot of people give me credit for. Though I will admit, and and I think people who w- just watched this kind of my uh, my <laughs> preview comments here will say, I do have a habit of talking up Valentina challengers, uh, both out of respect to the flyweight division, which often feels overlooked, and also maybe it's just to make the fight more interesting for myself. Like this could be this could be an internal thing. Uh, so m- maybe I I am giving uh, Tyler Santos too much of a chance. But you know, just just watching the tape on her, she's just got a great all around game, really good Muay Thai. Um, strong top game, you know, when she managed to get, get, get a takedown, which I don't know if we'd see that happen against Valentina, but it's there. She's very, she's just very comfortable all around, but kind of like what Shaheen said, it's just, if you compare skill for skill, there's just so few people who can pound for pound that can stack up against Valentina. She's just so, she reminds us a little bit of a Mighty Mouse where like, she's just so technically flawless in so many areas. Uh, her mentality also, man, just her confidence, her mentality, and that goes such a long way, that aura of invincibility. I'm not saying that that Tyler Santos is just going to be like, you know, uh, cowed by that aura, but I think it matters. And I think it's it's one reason why Valentina is so effective. She's a, she's a plus athlete as well. She's a really good athlete. She really just has no weaknesses right now. and she's, she's in her prime. So I do think it'll be a competitive fight. I think it'll be one of her toughest tests, and I think it goes to a decision. But I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think we'll have any question that uh, – that the fight will be scored for Shevchenko. I think it'll be pretty, pretty controversy-free uh, tell defense. And uh, number seven, by the way, seven straight for Shevchenko, which puts up there with like Jose Aldo. Uh, uh, the only people with seven or more: Jose Aldo, Demetrius Johnson, George St. Pierre, uh, John Jones. It's a pretty good list. Pretty good list to be to be a part of. <laughs> I thought for a second you were going to go into the Larry David pretty good Bryant, but we'll, we'll we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> Jose, official pick. Valentina, 50-45. I don't think – I think Tali Santos is, is supremely tough. I think that's an underrated skill she has. Um, obviously, she's only lost twice. I mean, once in her entire career. and She's beaten some very talented women. I just think Valentina is a step ahead of her. I don't think Valentina is going to finish her. I think it's just going to be an absolutely dominant 50-45 win, and then Valentina can go do whatever she wants after that. Valentina – Third round TKO. I think she pitches a near perfect game here. I think she has her badly hurt in this fight. I think she could take this fight wherever she wants. And I think it's a merciful, like mercifully, the fight is stopped in the third round. I think it's going to be one of those performances. And here's the big reason why it's not just Valentina being Valentina. That plays a major factor in this. The Marbarella fight, that loss really concerns me because that was her UFC debut. That was the biggest night of her career there's jitters that come with these fights there's pressure that comes with all these fights and i'm not knocking anybody who loses a fight but she didn't show up that night and the lights were the brightest they were ever ever were in her career 
and she lost to a fighter who's probably not even a top 30, 125 pounder in the world. Now the lights are brighter than ever. Things change. The obligations are, are more, a little more pressure. It's a title fight. You're fighting Valentina. I just find myself going back to that Mara Barella fight. Even though she has improved quite a bit, she bounced back with four straight wins and has looked really good. I don't know. I think the pressure just becomes a little too much. And much like Gary Prohashka, Tyler Santos will be back in a title fight. It may win the title someday. I just don't think it's going to be tomorrow. So give me Valentina Shevchenko. Near flawless performance. Puts her away in the third round. Looking forward to seeing the bullet train continue on. And we'll see if Tyler Santos can prove a lot of people wrong. Real quick before we go to the peeps, we got to talk about the rematch of all rematches. One of the greatest fights of all time happened in March of 2020. Definitely the greatest female fight of all time. Zhang Wei Li, Yuani and Jacek. They're running it back again. This time, just three rounds, Shaheen Alshadi. Is this the right move? A lot of people seem upset about that. You know what? You know who's not upset about that? Me. I'm actually more fascinated by this fight that it's a three-rounder as opposed to if it was a five-rounder again. I mean, I can't, I can't hate on it. I, the fact I was in the in the arena for, um, I think what was it, February of 2020 when this first fight happened, and I still wow. like the 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 image uh, uh, in that arena or March, right? Yeah, March. Uh, the it, just being in that arena, like the feeling in that arena, um, it was one of the most unbelievable feats from a human being that I had ever seen what those two women accomplished that night. Like it was just unbelievable. So they already did that once. Like if they, if they want to take it a little easier the second time around, go 10 less minutes and maybe take a little less punishment for the same money they would have gotten. Otherwise I'm all here for it. I just want to see this one back and the way in which this, this fight sort of gets run back to us, the the time in which they gets run back in this division is so it couldn't be more perfect, right? Because Dana White set the stakes perfectly this week when he essentially said the winner of this gets Carla Esparza. I love that. Uh, I think the, both of these women, like this is not a path they really expected to ever appear right at their doorstep this quickly, a path back to that title. Because both of them had obviously lost to Rose twice and there just wasn't a door for them there, in particular, Ioana. And all of a sudden for this to now appear in front of her, Ioana in particular, and it's just like, oh, you beat you beat one person who I picked it for – I scored that fight for Ioana the first time around if she can do it again all of a sudden Carla Esparza is sitting in front of her the one the woman that she mauled to win a title all the way way back when in 2014 to just be able to run this situation back and just do a a a double of it a repeat of it that is unbelievable the way this is all played out Uh, I, I love the stakes involved in this fight I love that they're booking this fight now the timing of all of it uh 115 right now is so fascinating with the way that the top five have sort of materialized materialized and who's beaten who, who who's lost to who and to me this is just the perfect fight at the perfect time and i can't wait for it ak three rounds are you okay with this yeah, I've I've been like trying to be as optimistic about it as possible, right? I've been the prince of positivity, saying like, "Oh, look, three rounds. They can go harder than they did in the first fight." Which, if anyone watched the first fight, might actually be impossible. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they can have more output than they had in that five round fight. So, I'm really, I'm really kind of like uh, again, just trying to put a positive spin on this. Um, yeah, it's listen. It sucks. The UFC could couldn't or didn't want to pay them more to do a five round fight um maybe it was never even on the table because they knew they would kind of throw it on this card and it wasn't going to be one of the top two fights so they didn't need it to be five rounds we'd all love to see these these two go another five rounds three rounds is still going to be great uh uh, you know i I think we're still going to get a possible fight of the year candidate these two are just so skilled 
their will to win is is so high. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun, fun fight. So I, I don't have an issue with the three rounds. Um, but I think Casey, I think it was Casey who said earlier, we were talking about this on the uh, weigh-in show uh, earlier on Friday, that uh, after after those three rounds, we're going to be wishing we had two more. It's going to be it's going to be a two more rounds, you know, the, you know, chanting two more rounds, two more rounds. And uh, and it's a shame that uh, that we, we couldn't get it. But uh, I think it'll be fun either way. And uh you know, again, on a card with two title fights, maybe it's it's better not to have three five round fights. You know, just for for pacing purposes. But again, this is me being the most optimistic you can be about uh, it not being a five rounder. We haven't seen these women in a lot of three three round fights in the UFC. I think Joanna, since she beat Carla, has only been in one. That was the Tisha Torres fight. Ever since that, everything before and after that, five rounds. Zhang Weili hasn't been in a three rounder in a while, so I'm really interesting and really interested from from that standpoint. But Jose. Lots of storyline questions heading into this fight. We have the Yuana Long layoff. We have Zhang Wei Li losing two fights in a row, the knockout loss, and then she changed everything, literally everything. She left her comfort zone, changed her entire life to prepare for the second fight. And while it was much more competitive, the ruling is she lost the fight. So after changing everything, she loses the fight, got knocked out the fight before. Which storyline stands out more to you? Is it the the long layoff for Ioana or is it Zhang trying to get these the, the bad taste of those two losses out of her mouth, especially the second one, considering everything she changed to get ready for it? I think it's the long I think it's the long layoff. Ioana hasn't fought in what 27 months. Daniel Cormier, newly elected UFC Hall of Famer, and Habib Nurmagomedov have more recent fights in the UFC than Ioana and Jacek. Uh, I, I feel like Joanna has been one of those fighters where every now and then Dana will do like his media roundup, and she's one of those fighters for years, for like the last two and a half years, where they're like, is there an update on Joanna? And he's like, oh, we're going to meet with her. Oh, she's living her best life. Oh, she's upset about have, not having a bigger <laughs> piece of the cake or whatever. It's whatever, like all that kind of stuff. So Joanna's finally back. Joanna, Carla didn't, I believe Carla just, I just tied her. For most wins in straw, UFC strawweight history, or she's one behind or one ahead, or she's right there. You want to 27 months off, and the champion just caught her in like amount of wins. So it's it's Joanna's 27 month layoff is the most intriguing aspect for me. I this like you said, this is only her fourth three round fight in US in like her entire UFC run. Uh, Whaley's been very active, but she's been knocked out and she lost a hyper competitive fight. Apparently, if that fight between Whaley and Rose happened in Arizona. I bet Whaley wins uh, because the judges gave Carla that, that fight. Now, I'm not arguing Carla won or lost or anything like that, but the the Whaley-Rose fight was so competitive and so close uh, and so fun to watch. The second one, that is, uh, Whaley can have a good fight with anybody. And she, it's, an int- it's an interesting I – don't, I don't know how many people have, have brought this up, but these are two women where they put on an epic fight at UFC, what, I don't even remember what number it was, 248, 247, whatever it was. And then they didn't fight at all in the apex. Whaley's next fight was on that Jacksonville card against Rose inside the sold-out arena where that was the first fight post, quote-unquote, post-pandemic where fans were allowed in. And then this is Ioana's first fight in sold-out Singapore. So neither women had any sort of experience fighting in an empty arena, in a tiny octagon, in front of 12 people in the UFC Apex. So Ioana's just picking up right where she left off. Literally, this is essentially just going to be around six, seven, eight, in just a different arena with a whole lot of fans around her. So for me, the the most interesting storyline is Ioana's twenty seven month layoff. 
God, imagine this rematch in an empty arena. Holy cow. Although Singapore, I don't know how the how ruckus the crowd will be in that arena. I don't it's know how not it's that work. big of an arena. Okay. They're probably normally things are kind of quiet unless something happens. So maybe we'll still kind of get that feel, but with the crowd behind it. So real quick, AK pick. Zhang Wei Li is the favorite here. Minus 150. Come back on Ioana, plus 130. Who gets it done? Ioana Echechik is rejuvenated. I love that she was able to take time off. Again, not every fighter can afford to do that. But as Jose just kind of mentioned, she put in so much work during that championship run that won her reputation. She could stand to take time off and her reputation would not drop. She's just always going to be talked about among the top three. Plus, of course, financially. Financially, she was well off enough that she could rest, recover, go live her life, go be happy. Maybe just not even think about MMA for, for some time. Most fighters don't have that luxury. She does. I think it's going to prove to be really, really helpful. And it's going to be the difference in a, in a matchup that, again, if you run it back with these two, you know, 10 times, the Lord knows it'd probably be five and five, six and four. But I think Saturday will be will be Ioana's night. And I think that uh, that time off is, is a huge, huge factor in a positive way. Shaheen. Yeah, I'm in agreement with AK here. To me, it just feels like you could not have written a better scenario a better storybook ending for yoana however you want to however you want to lay that out like this would be the perfect thing that you would write if you were writing yoana's story is this setup right now with the potential with carlos bars rematch right afterwards feels like it's all set up for yoana and jay check to become yoana champion again in a way that we really never could have expected so i'm here for that i think yoana and jay is going to go out there and remind the world who she is yeah i, I thought yoana won the first fight i think she I mean, obviously, Zhang Weili is very strong, super athletic, but I thought Yuan actually had a lot of success when they were in close clinches, things like that, especially as the fight went on. I thought she did good. She probably did better than Zhang Weili. Can Zhang Weili get this fight to the ground, and can she do it a lot? That's probably the big question in my mind, but I don't think that Zhang's going to, even though she says she'll wrestle, I don't believe her. I think they're going to get in there and get after it. I don't think it'll be as good as the first fight because how could you possibly top that? So I think it's a good fight. I love the plus 130 value on Yuana from a betting perspective. If it drops like plus 115, I'm not in, as much in love with it, but plus 130 scratches me right where I itch from a betting perspective. So give me Yuana to win a decision. Jose, your pick before we go to the peeps. Yuana uh, decision, I just think Yuana. I, I had Whaley win in the first fight, but I can absolutely see an argument of Yuana winning. Uh, the first fight, I just, like she said, I think it might even been to our own Damon Martin. Or I, she's probably said to everyone that has interviewed her. She approached that that first fight, like in the middle of the fight. She she just wanted to become a fighter. She kind of abandoned the game plan and just wanted to go toe-to-toe with, with Whaley. Now she has two less rounds to go, and she wants to quote-unquote make this like a surgical performance. So I just think you want to get it done, but I'm going to say decision this time. All right, we did lose a fight, unfortunately. We lost uh, Hajiria Bontarine versus Menel Kopp. Bontarine had some issues, some kidney issues during the weight cut. So that fight is off. We moved Jake Matthews versus Andre Fialo up to the main card. And then Jack Della Maddalena, Ramazan Amiv will open up the main card. And the start time was what, 7 p.m. Eastern now, AK? That's for the prelims. And then 10 p.m. main card is all in. Correct. There you go. We'll save the low-key banger for the uh, People's Pre-Fight Show. Let's go to the peeps. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. 
and Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. They've been here just listening to us wax poetically. Let's hear from them. What are they saying? What are they thinking? What are they excited about? And there's Casey as well. Hi, everybody. Hi, uh, Dr. Casey. <laughs> yeah, so go, go, go ahead and talk about that fight that was just dropped off. What do you do with Contrary now? Do we rebook them ASAP or try to turn Cap over soon with a different matchup? My thought, AK, you heard me say this on on to the next one. If Manel Cap beat Hajirio Bontarin, Brandon Royval, the year of the raw dog, could potentially continue. So just book that fight now. Bontarin might have to go up to 35 for his next fight just so he doesn't have to cut all the way down to 25 anymore because he's having – now we're getting hospitalized. Now it's affecting his well-being. It's affecting his physical health. I don't like seeing that. So let's give him some time. Even if he's going to go to 25, give him some time to kind of like figure that part of it out so we don't have to deal with this again. But just do cop Val. I love that fight. AK, what do we I, do here? I like how you said contouring there for a second. Like like they're Benefer. Like we should do that. We need to do that with more matchups. We need to like Did I say that? <laughs> I think you just said it really quickly. I heard contouring. I'm like, that's kind of a that's, we should have I wish we'd build it as that. Uh I think the answer to this is whatever gets Manel Cop a fight as soon as possible. This guy's really exciting. Yeah. He's really climbing up the division. I mean, if it's Bontarine, if if the Bontarine can make it, great. Again, seems unlikely. It seems like a bit of a uh, it's not something in the air right now. Yeah, cop sounds ready to go he was very gracious on twitter just saying like oh you know it's unfortunate i couldn't fight he didn't he didn't do that thing where you know he accuses opponent of whatever whatever when these things falter so that's great to see and i think he's uh he's being really professional and just ready to, to sign on the dotted line as soon as they, they send him a fight all right all right we'll go to uh next question we'll begin with shaheen when we heard of Hajira Bontarine versus Manel Cap fight being off, was Jake Matthews versus Andre Fiala the right fight to move up? If not, what fight should have moved up? Shaheen, I do you feel like this is the right fight? I, I just don't know what other one you could have put up here. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is the right fight because you just hit hit the nail on the head. Like, what else were we what else are we gonna do? Right? Like this is really kind of <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a three fight card if we're being honest now there's not a lot to like here unless you're like a really really hardcore <laughs> fan like if you are there's names you could pick out but for the most part i'm gonna guess that 90 percent of the mma fan base doesn't know any single person on this card outside of the top six maybe they're jake matthews but outside of that uh that's kind of it so they were working with what they're working with i feel like this is probably the right one and just to follow up on what we were just saying about the cop fight it, was that any, was that fight weird to anybody else but me just already? Like Bontarine was winless in his last four. It felt like a, a very weird fight to give to Comp anyway. So like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't understand why they were so stuck on that one. I hope he can just fight as soon as possible. It felt like one of those fights that no one would take in Singapore. That's and he yeah. would. That's what it felt like. The, the fight, you know, the fight didn't actually make that much sense. But yeah. Because it was if Bontarine lost, he was going to be gone, right? Like that was he's kind of fighting for his life right there. So, yeah. Cool, cool. Jed was actually picking Bontarine to win that fight. That was going to be his uh, his long shot of the week, but then he had to scratch it all out. Well, Jed's a what fool. else we got, Casey? All right. <laughs> this is for some some Jose questions. Yes, Jose, how do you like the road to the UFC compared to Dana White's Contender Series? Hmm. 
Ooh, I like it in the fact that it's a tournament. Uh, I think especially in the Asian market, it's very it's easier for especially in Asian mixed martial arts. It's easier for like fans who are accustomed to these type of tournaments. Uh, it's especially for because a lot of these fighters, like the, not every like by no means is everyone here making the UFC. Like the winner of this these tournaments, like these brackets, will get a UFC contract or the opportunity to sign the UFC contract and. Uh, a lot of these fighters are four and oh five and oh. There's there's some fighters that are like thirty eight and eleven going up against someone that's four and oh five and oh. There's a nineteen year old that fought on this car on one of the cards. Um, I like the fact that it's easy to, especially for for this market where they're trying to like lay the foundation and get back into it. It's easy to streamline the storyline. Like oh, this guy was four and oh five and oh. And then he won this tournament and then got it to the UFC. He's not just like, oh, he got thrown in the contender series. Dana White decided to get his contracts. Like, there's a meritocracy. Like, wins and loss, I've said it forever. Wins and losses matter. If you win a tournament, there's really no arguing that you, you know, and especially because it's a tournament, if it's a closed fight, like, I don't know if, if I'm sure all of you guys watched them live uh, on UFC Fight Pass at like two in the morning, but I think it was the Kazama fight when he won. He didn't shake his opponent's hand, and his opponent got mad and kicked him after the fight, like before the scorecards were in. And people were like, oh, like what's happening here? And then I asked him. He's like, it was a close fight. If it's a draw, we have to do a fourth round. I'm not going to shake his hand until the, the fight's over. I'm like, I had not even pondered that. So, like, there has to be a winner in these fights. Like, they have – and that's why it's interesting. There's also, not for nothing – been some crazy finishes like there's been a spinning back elbow there's been like a 30 second knockout there's been an absolutely lightning quick uh arm bar all the, it's it's been fun it's been a, it was a fun time like top noise i'm gonna go interview after this preview show was smoking a pack of cigarettes before the fight <laughs> in the locker room and then he's like yeah why not go for it and i was like cool man like you're an absolute <laughs> madman uh he had he was like in this position where he had someone had like a body lock and was going for the arm triangle, like a, a, an arm triangle, um, a rear naked choke, and he was like punching behind his head while talking to him. It's great, man. I had a good time. I think it's good for the Asian market. I don't expect any of these fighters to be top fifteen fighters in the near future. There's a couple guys in the lower, in the lower, uh, like they're 19, 20, 21, 22 that have very impressive backgrounds that I think they can build on. But they're four and 0, 5 and 0, three and 0 right now. So I think we'll see them in exciting fights. I don't expect anyone to be challenging for the title or in the top 15 anytime soon. But it's, I like I like this setup better for this market as opposed to the Contender Series. Yeah, and, no, and I, for anyone who didn't see anyone who didn't see that Jekka, uh, that spinning backfist by Jekka Saragi, I want to say his name is, uh, definitely check. It's one of the cleanest spinning backfists you'll see. It's like full, full on back of his hand, right square in the guy's face. It was so nasty. And uh, you can guys find that at MAFighting.com. And uh, the other thing I want to mention was it's kind of weird. They're kind of having their cake and eating it too because they're having the tournament. But one of the guys already got signed. Uh, Zhang, Zhang Mingyang had a well, very, very – every, yeah. every all four – there's been two days but there's four episodes. And the, okay. the opening fight of each episode is non-tournament. Non-tournament, yeah. But so they're not guaranteed the to be signed, that, right? It's just they could be. Correct. So okay. the guy that won the first fight over Tuco got signed within the hour because he mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. – and there were – like four or five punches that did not need to happen. That was a that was a scary knockout. Ugly. And then the yesterday the I think it was episode four, the winner that won so quickly, when he came back, he's like, "Where's my contract? I expect my contract 
<laughs> at my desk after this press conference. So wow. it's it's an interesting it's interesting. I like this better for the than the contender series for Asia. I like I, it when they go into these new markets or markets they don't travel to that often. So if anyone's in yeah. Singapore, you can just go for free. Are you you free can just walk in and watch good, fights. A, yeah, that's that's amazing. Free is a very they good price. A, yeah, <laughs> make it up. They get a true fight week for these newer fans that you're trying to break into these markets. Do so, different things from multiple events. With, I like that idea. We spoke with the senior vice president of UFC Asia. I'm, I can't remember his name at the time, and he, I asked him like what the timeline for the next round is, like the quarter for the semifinals, and he said October. And I said, "Is it going to be before a pay per view?" He said, "Maybe." I'm like, "Is it going to be in Abu Dhabi? Because that's a pay per view in October in Asia." And he's like, "Hmm." I probably shouldn't have said anything, so maybe. And I'm like, so we're probably going to get the <laughs> the semifinals before the Abu Dhabi pay per view. There you go. But he also did leak that they're going to go. To, they're trying to go to Tokyo. They want to go to India, which is very fascinating because obviously everyone knows India has some like one of the absolutely biggest populations in the whole world, and the UFC has never tapped into that market. And then they want to go to Thailand. So like three, uh, they've obviously been in Tokyo, but hitting opening like hitting the ground. At, Thailand and India would be super fascinating for UFC fight cards. Completely agree. All right, one more question, Casey. Get us, oh, get us the one, fiery, oh, fiery, one and fiery. One oh, more. So much pressure. Oh, so much pressure. I know. I know. Okay, this this changes everything. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I mean, listen. We it's been we've been over an hour. The Celtics are about to put a beating on the Warriors. I mean, come on, bro. It's eight a.m. Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, Jose's got to eat breakfast, have a coffee, interview a fighter. Well, gonna, Come on. I'm going to go. No, dude, I'm going to be top noise after this. And then I'm going to go to bed. See? <laughs> well, Things what to do. What, no, what, I, what time, I, what formally time request, I formally request a smoking cigs with top noy video. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. That's, that's the video. You know Let's how go. he smokes cigarettes? He smokes cigarettes with chopsticks. He holds them with chops. He holds a cigarette wow. with, a chop, with chopsticks. That's baller. Did he you just hold your microphone with chopsticks. That's money. No, no, does he smoke? Does he do the Asian squat though? Is he? Do you know about the Asian squat smoking? <laughs> AK, know, AK knows. AK knows. He definitely. He definitely. He definitely has done. Yeah, he did. <laughs> outside the in the alley behind a restaurant, you know. <laughs> he was wearing his his fight gear, sitting with his legs crossed, with a pair of chopsticks on his phone, just like. It was very interesting. Interesting cat. Uh, this man's amazing. Um, I'm gonna put this gentleman's question up as our last one, and um, but I really, I basically I want to talk about the promotion for this fight, and I think that's what he's kind of asking. Oh, has the UFC messed up this pay per view? Besides a handful of fights, there isn't much to look forward to, let alone pay to watch. They should do a better job to lure folks, especially with rising costs. I actually talked about this on Heck of a Morning today because someone brought up this exact question, so I will go last. But Shaheen, I'll start with you. Talk about the promotion of the pay-per-view. Has the UFC done? Have, have, how would you grade how the UFC has put this fight on people's radars and this fight card on people's radars? I mean, I like the end of this question of they should do a better job to lure folks because should they? Like, do they really need to? I don't know <laughs> that they need to. Like, they're getting money hand over fist anyway, right? Like, the UFC is going to make its money regardless of whether this sells 2 million pay-per-views or 300,000 pay-per-views. UFC has already made its money with ESPN the way that its deal works. We just found through the tremendous reporting of John Nash over at Bloody Elbow that UFC is officially making a billion dollars a year uh, just overall. So, like, the UFC is doing fine regardless of whether or not uh, 
this one's going to sell out. I think you can tell their interest level in the fact that Dana White is publicly saying on every interview that he's doing this week that he's not going to be there in Singapore because he's going to gamble with his son. Like you can kind of tell what, just even reading the through the uh, uh, through the lines with, when it comes to that. So no, I mean, I think the promotion's probably been fairly lackluster but i also think they don't really care it's not a uh, car with a lot of stars it's kind of a three fight card as we've already said uh and i think they're more than happy to just kind of shovel it off to the local market and like jose said run these different things for the local market and make it more of a local thing and then you know whatever extra they get from the rest of us they're happy with it ak what do you think uh, Shaheen is right. It's really almost impossible for them to mess up promoting anything. Like the brand is so established, and they they listen. They're they're they're. It's a win for them just by holding events, having an event in Singapore, having a pay per view in Singapore, saying that they did that, saying they brought two title fights to Singapore, they brought a big rematch to Singapore. It doesn't matter if the rest of the card isn't that strong. It doesn't matter if they they've done a you know relatively lackluster job promoting those three big fights. It, it sucks. Excuse me. It sucks to say, but like the UFC has a bottom line and is very good at, at uh, 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 re- achieving that bottom line they, they're not here to necessarily have every event be some big like uh, attention grabbing thing it doesn't need to be at this point they have the combat sports world attention they have had it you know it's established uh, and they hate fun they hate fun so i know we like we, they do they hate fun i, I saw a question earlier that was like oh the ufc uh i hope the the next time the ufc uh, has a, a vacant title that they have a tournament for it, you know, sort of playing off the road to UFC question. And that will never happen because they don't need to. That's why right. would they have, why would they leave anything in the hands of chance when they could just say, oh, the title's vacant? We're throwing a Diaz brother in there. We're throwing Conor McGregor in there. We're throwing Holly Holm in there. Bruh. We're throwing John, jo- John Jones in there. Why would they ever risk not getting a matchup that they could just manufacture, right? So that kind of goes along with this question is, is, I know we want to see them take more chances and do different things. And yeah, and yes, do a better job of promoting. That's what a promotion and what a promoter like Dana White is supposed to do. But as long as they're making money hand over fist, it's this is the reality of it. And, and again, we can criticize all we want. They're very happy with how their business is going. So this is this everything we say here is very likely just kind of falling on, on deaf ears. But it's a, it's it's not an unfair question, though. Bruh, Jose, they, go. Bruh, it's unreal. They like a this fight was going to happen regardless because they owed, they owed Singapore a fight card. Like, it's going, like, that. that's just the aspect of it, too. Uh, they need to add two title fights. These are the two title fights. Like, when they go to Abu Dhabi, they are, they are obligated to give Abu Dhabi at least one title fight. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot more of these type of, quote-unquote, what, what is this guy said? Not much to look forward to, which is very silly, if you like MMA. Um, it's going to happen in these markets where, after post-pandemic, like, we have a pay-per-view in two months, three months, what, two months? In August. How are they doing? Are they doing a good job promoting that main event? Oh, they don't even have a main event, and it's two months away. September 2, October. They don't have any of these fights booked. They can't even book a main event. So they can't, they're going to start promoting the fight. It's just silly. It's very silly. We all, we, all, we all know what's probably going to main event things, but they don't announce these things to what, like a month before? And then they have 30 days to to sell you on a fight in Salt Lake. As if Mike, right now, of all the options available, what headline, what pay, what could headline a pay per view on August 20th in Salt Lake City? The same Dust- month that Jake Paul's probably gonna fight. 
Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz. That's the only fight not you can happen. do. That's literally not. I mean, not listen, that's literally the best option they have right now. That sure. is the best option that is available if to Tom them. If Tom could enter the country, it'd probably be him, but he can't. So that's probably what, like, it's just like they're they're running out of options. Like it's, and I and I know they want to go like the like AK. This if they touch down in Canada in Toronto, mm-hmm. does it matter what that paper that headliner is? Nope. They're gonna sell out. Yep. It doesn't matter. Same here. Same in Abu Dhabi. Same in Boston. Same in Austin. Like all these fights. Like it doesn't matter who headlines. They just throw something against the wall. They've been so starved for headliners. It's going to sell out. And I think that's what's going to be the storyline for the next 12 months. Actually, I want to go back to what Mike said. And we said they're like they've already made their money. So the, the UFC to me is doing exactly what Dana says, why we don't want to make fighters rich. Because why are fighters gonna fight if they're rich? And why is why would see, the why would the UFC see, promote if they're yeah so, yeah? Did you see <laughs> what Dana White said about Hamza? No, did I didn't. You see Tell what me. he said. He said, and we all knew it was coming. I'm banging the chair the table right now. He said, <laughs> "Oh, Hamza was a guy. He wanted to fight every week, and then he made a bunch of money, and now he doesn't want to fight." I'm like, "Oh, saw that coming from a mile away. Like, it's happening, guys." He said the thing. He said the. Th- There's easier ways to turn down a fight than Hold asking on. for more money, guys. <laughs> I just want to remind people. Jose has been working for about 44 straight hours, if that's not uh, – and to, to be continued, oh, you, have an, you have an interview coming up. I just want to know this, this is the state of mind he's in. He's that woke him fired. right up, though. <laughs> that woke him right up. I love that. Yeah, I, I, picked, mean, I picked a good final question. That's all I got to say. You did. Hey, listen. listen. I, what everybody – Sean said the, the money thing. I'm not going to take credit for that wonderful point. Uh, you all made great points. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this is a Singapore fight week. This is a Singapore – friendly fight like we're get we're having our cake and eating it too we're giving you three listen these three good these three fights are good fights the main event is really interesting we're getting the best female fighter on the planet and we're getting a rematch from one of the greatest fights of all time those top three fights are great jake matthews andre fell is a great fight jack della madalena is an interesting prospect this that andre has Fels a lot of attention right now. fight since january yeah. and then the rest of the card is basically just talents that the singapore locals will know who they are so they could buy tickets and go to the arena to watch the fights in singapore indoor stadium so and then they did that listen this is what a singapore card is we're going to give make sure people will spend the 75 bucks we're going to give them a little something extra. this is cherry it's cherry on top of the yeah. uh, already massive sunday that the ufc has built for themselves and anything yeah. that comes out of this from north america and then some in terms of pay-per-view buys it's just cherry on top of the sunday so and if you don't like it if you don't like it, guess what this card this card isn't for you all right whoever out there if you don't like it is there any for you tommy gull captain zigzag i'm just calling out people joseph boza that is your real name <laughs> joseph let me boza. just say though i will i will say just to like round out this discussion because i can understand the the person who asked this question wanting to ask i, I, question, I get it right yeah. because if i'm a fan and every single year pay-per-views rise from 50 to 55 to 60 to 65 now what are they 75 dollars if i'm a fan and i'm paying 75 dollars on saturday and you're demanding that i pay 75 to be a fan of the ufc and follow along with the ufc storylines etc and i'm basically getting a three fight card which is what this is you can make it three and a half fight card if you want if you really like the fourth fight i'm feeling some type of way a little bit right like I'm looking at that oh, yeah. and, so, t- and saying like you're asking me to spend seventy five dollars on that. Like I I would definitely have some thoughts on that. Well, I think the fact that Dana yeah, White's kind of rubbing two, it in their faces too. 
Like, look, yeah, you're going like, to pay 75 bucks, and I'm going to be playing blackjack in a, in a penthouse where you suckers are paying 75 bucks. I, I, I yeah. think the fact that the UFC doesn't seem to care is, like, when the fans like, well, I'm putting my mo- my money and my my time into this. Like, why isn't Dana there? I get it, but then fans, you're you're just your money, you know, to the UFC. Listen, they're going to Austin. They got two pay per views in July, so now you're asking fans to buy this one and two next month. You get two pay per views next month, so it's not cheap to be a fan of the sport. Oh, no. It just isn't. But we're done. Hit the, hit the music, Casey. Hit it. Oh, yeah. All right. 6.15 Eastern tomorrow, 3.15 p.m. Pacific time, People's Free Fight Show. Extended, because it's a pay-per-view. 6.15 will lead you right into the first fight on the prelims, and then lots of stuff happening. Once the main card ends, well, the press conference, well, the post-fight show. Buckle up, drink your coffee, drink your Red Bull, drink whatever you got. And stay up with us all night long or all you know day what? long in Singapore. Wake up, wake up with Jose because it's a nice Sunday morning fight card. <laughs> there you go. For Shaheen, for Casey, for Jose in Singapore. Get some Jose. sleep on that. Hey, Hiya, Mike Eck. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. Go Celtics. Happy birthday. AK. No. It's yeah. Go Draymond Green. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.